I'm Leslie Marshall. Brad Bannon rejoins me as he does every Friday to co-host this hour on the only true democracy in talk radio. Brad is president and CEO of Bannon Communications Research, a polling message development and media firm which helps labor unions, progressive issues groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. Hey, Brad, how are you in Boston or D.C. today? Uh, Hi, Leslie, in Boston. Good to have you with us as always, buddy. Um, Did you write this piece entitled, It's Official, Jeb Bush is a Dud? Uh, no, I didn't, but I wish I had. <laughs> I love the title. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about this. Do you agree with that? And tell me why. Well, the short answer is I do agree with it. Uh, his campaign has generated very little interest in GOP circles, and I think the way he tra- attempted to tackle the Iraq issue this week was embarrassing. Uh, he tried. After he uh, said initial, uh, made his initial statement about Iraq, he had to come out. They had to try him out three times to explain it. And you know, watching the video attempts, uh, videotapes of his appearance, he looks squishy. Uh, he looks like he doesn't really know what he's talking about. Uh, he looks like he does not look presidential. So yeah, I think you know. You have to be – Americans want strength in their presidency. That's what they want in a president more than anything else. And when you're wishy-washy the way Jeb Bush is, that does not connote strength. It connotes I'm not tough enough to handle the job. Hey, Brad, it's Mark. I wanted to jump in, too. Um, You know, can you, just for people who haven't been following this as closely as we ever, have gotten confused with all of the um, position changes that Jeb Bush uh, has made on the question of whether or not he would have made the same decision as his brother did to go to war with Iraq. Can you give us a review of the past week or so of what has happened with, with him saying that in the media and what his comments have been and how they've changed? Yeah. Uh, well, the first thing, he, and it was an interview, a TV interview, and uh, whoever was the uh, host uh, asked him uh, if he thought the Iraq War, uh, invasion of Iraq back in 2003 had been a mistake. And he answered the question the way he should have. And he said, yes, I think it was a mistake. Well, he got all sorts of heat uh, from you know, almost everybody in the GOP, and then they trotted him out again, and he essentially said, well, uh, I meant if we uh, – actually what he said was, well, that was a hypothetical question. I shouldn't be answering hypothetical questions. Uh, I'd rather deal with the future than the past. Uh, now, if the first rule uh, in this business, if you're working with a candidate uh, running for president, just about anything else, is you don't ask hypothetical questions uh, because there's no need to answer them. Uh, they usually get candidates in trouble, uh, and he blew the first rule of campaign communications by answering uh, a hypothetical question. Uh, then he broke the second rule uh, when he answered it uh, and changed his mind on it. And it just looks so weak and unpresidential. I, I think it. He has major problems in this race. I don't think he's going to be the Republican nominee. Uh, he is the best-known Republican candidate, but he's lagging in the polls. I think Republicans want something different, and George Jeb Bush is not different. 
And uh, Brad, uh, Leslie here, I'm back. Uh, you know, Brad, I, you know, a lot of people just look at names and name recognition is the number one reason uh, people vote. And Jeb Bush not only has the name, but has uh, the check writers that have backed his brother and his father and even him in the state of Florida when he was governor. Um, surprising that he is, in a sense, making such a splash as a dud, as this article uh, is entitled. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's it's look, when you got the name and you have this much money, this is this is almost pretty difficult to screw up. Yet he seems to be mastering this, making a mess on the ca- campaign trail. It seems right now he makes a mess anytime he opens his mouth. Yeah, pretty much so. And the problem is, this is the first time in over a decade he's actually had to campaign for something. Uh, he's been in political retirement ever since he retired as governor of Florida. And the fact that his campaign instincts aren't working and haven't been using them, uh, I think, is one of the reasons. I think he's flabby and out of shape. Uh, but, you know, name net recognition is not enough. For instance, right now, Jeb Bush is much better known than all the other Republican candidates. But the problem is, a lot of Republicans who know him don't like him, uh, because they see him as kind of a wishy-washy conservative. Uh, Some Republicans don't like him because they're afraid to have another Bush name on the ballot. Uh, And that's why he's, you know, stuck back in the pack now, even though he's a lot better known than the other candidates. And my guess is, once the other candidates get better known, and they will when you get closer to Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, he's going to start uh, falling behind in the polls. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about his level of competency versus his brother. I mean, George W. Bush was looked at even by some Republicans as a buffoon. Right now, uh, Jeb Bush, who once was considered competent, is being looked, you know, some people I think are saying maybe George wasn't all that much an idiot. We'll be back. Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research and sits in with me as my co-host every Friday on the only true democracy and talk radio, will join you. Want to weigh in on Jeb Bush? Is he a dud? Pick up the phone, 888 6 I'm Leslie Marshall. He is Brad Bannon. We are talking about Jeb Bush. And uh, Brad, thanks for uh, holding. Welcome back, my co-host, my partner in crime. Uh, uh, Talking about a dud, as the title goes, uh, you know, let's let's break it down uh, more specifically. Do you think that Jeb Bush was considered the more competent of the two when you look at GW? And do you think that's changing now based on some of his uh, faux pas and snafus on the campaign trail? Well, uh, uh, before he entered this campaign, uh, George uh, Jeb Bush was always considered the uh, smart Bush brother. Now, let me, you know, say that in his, uh, you know, he may have been overrated because his brother set such a low bar for being intelligent. Um, you know, almost anybody else would be. Uh, but you know, I mean, there, you know, there's, there's. Intelligence. My guess is if we gave both Bush brothers uh, an IQ test, Jeb would probably score higher. But that's not how we select presidents. Uh, We select presidents on their basis to deal uh, with tough circumstances. And I just think Jeb Bush, maybe it's because he hasn't run for office in years, uh, or maybe it's because he is a moderate 
he's a moderate running in a conservative primary, uh, but he, he just looks awful. He looks weak, uh, and uh, yeah, he probably is a smart brother. But you know, let's face it, George wasn't that uh, George uh, W wasn't a bright bulb, so uh, he didn't set the standard very high. Even though they haven't all thrown their hat officially into the uh, ring, uh, Rand Paul, Chris Christie, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio have all. Uh, and their fellow Republicans attacked Jeb Bush for saying he would have gone to war in Iraq in 2003, even if he had known the intelligence was was faulty. And, you know, then they watched him pretty much hem and haw and twist almost like a pretzel as he tried to explain himself. Um, and And people feel that it was even further embarrassing when you add the frosting cherry whipped cream on top of that, that he kept invoking his brother as a foreign policy uh, advisor. Um, uh, we, 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 have a, we have a cut we're going to play in a minute, but before we do, of a college student who actually, you know, a college kid pointing out the holes in his logic about how ISIS uh, came to be formed. We'll get to that in a minute. But I, I wanted to get your take. Obviously, people who are going to run against each other in the same party are going to attack. Um, but but let, let's talk about the flip-flopping and whether or not this guy would have gone to Iraq and obviously, it's his own brother who made that decision. Well, uh, well, you see, that's where that's where you get to Jeb's problem in the first place. Who knows? Uh, and what the mistake Jeb made uh, was that he answered a hypothetical question, which you're not supposed to do. Uh, now, my guess is, given the way his temperament. Okay, and okay, wait, 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 Brad. If you were advising Jeb Bush. You know the question's going to come up. How would you have advised him to answer that when it does not, because not if, when we know that question is going to definitely come up? Well, I don't think, well, first of all, if he had to answer it, I mean, at some point he had to answer the question. Not now, but he probably would have to answer it next year sometime. Uh, my guess is that given his temperament, uh, he probably wouldn't have evaded Iraq. Uh, he pro- and that's partly because Dick Cheney wouldn't have been his vice president egging him on. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think he probably wouldn't, uh, and I think the fact that he came out the first time and said he would illustrates the major problem he has. He is basically a moderate running in a conservative-dominated primary. And I think. Do you think he said he would because he's running as a Republican? Do you think he said he would because his brother did? Or do you think he said he would because he thought that was the right answer at the time as opposed to what his real answer would have been? Uh, yes, and I mean, that's another problem. George W. Bush, his brother, is still very unpopular. And one of the things Jeb Bush is going to have to deal with is his brother's unpopularity. Now, if I had been advising Jeb Bush, which thank God I'm not, uh, I would have said, you know, tell him what you think. Tell, uh, tell people, if you're asked a question, it was a mistake. Uh, it was rash. It's created instability in the Middle East, uh, and I do things differently than my brother did. Uh, I think he would, actually, and the great thing about that is most people don't like his brother, so he would put some necessary distance between himself and uh, George W. You know, that's an excellent answer, and if I were a Republican, I would buy that answer, and I would respect it more as a Democrat, because I would say, especially because... When when people are talking about Bushes and Clintons, 
They don't want Hillary to be Bill, or maybe they do, uh, but they certainly don't want Jeb to be George, and there would be a prime example of how he would, uh, you know, identify himself differently than his brother, and a decision, a huge decision, that polarized and continues to polarize this nation that his brother made. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the problem is most a lot of Republicans don't like his brother. Uh, his brother was considered a sort of wishy-washy. I know. We see it on Twitter all the time, Brad. They'll say... You know, Bush did it for me. I'm no longer a Republican. GW did it for me. I'm a Republican, but I'm not a GW Republican. Uh, you know, I was a Republican until GW. I hear it and see it all the time. Oh, yeah, sure. You're, you do see it all the time. Uh, and it's just reinforcing the doubts that conservative Republicans have uh, about Jeb Bush. And honestly, even before this, I didn't think George Bush would be the nominee because the Tea Party drives you mean Jeb the Bush. party. <laughs> and the Tea Party does not like Jeb Bush. And I never saw how he would win the nomination in the first place. And this latest episode is, is just another uh, leak in a very leaky boat. You think the Republican nominee standing on that platform is going to be a Tea Party candidate? He will be a candidate that is acceptable to the Tea Party. Um, I think the nominee very well could be uh, – uh, Governor Walker of Wisconsin, uh, who is who is acceptable to the party. The Tea Party likes him. So I guess my answer to your question is yes. I mean, I think the Tea Party does have a veto. They may not get, get exactly... But, but that actually can help Democrats greatly because... The country's swinging to the right fiscally, to the left socially. you got those people that don't want to align themselves with Democrat or Republican, call themselves independents or moderates or centrist. A Scott Walker or any Tea Party candidate like a Rand Paul or a Ted Cruz are going to be too conservative for their palates. Yeah, that's exactly true, and that's the basic problem all the Republican candidates have. To win the nomination, they have to appeal to very conservative voters. But by doing that, they push themselves so far right, it will be impossible to, for them to win the presidency. Uh, I think, you know, every time one of these Republicans gets up and says something stupid or, or outrageous that pleases the religious right or the Tea Party, all they're doing is paving the road. Uh, Hillary Clinton's road to the White House. Uh, let's play that a clip, guys. We have that, right? That audio clip. Uh, this is this is the college student who pointed out holes in Jeb Bush's logic about how ISIS came to be formed. This is classic. I'm Ivy Zedrick, and I'm with the Young Democrats, actually, on the University of Nevada yeah. campus. And what I wanted to talk to you about was the fact that you stated that ISIS was created because we don't have enough presence and keep pulling out of the Middle East. However, ISIS was actually created, uh, the threat of ISIS the Iraqi coalition authority, which ousted the entire government of Iraq. It was when 30,000 individuals who were part of the Iraqi, uh, uh, who was part of the Iraqi military, they were forced out. They had no, they had no employment. They had no income. Yet they were left with access to all of the same arms and weapons that your brother created ISIS through the Iraqi, Iraqi coalition authority. <laughs>
system that could have been brought up to create eliminate the sectarian violence when we when we had an agreement that the president could have signed, they would have kept 10,000 troops, just less than what we have in Korea. They could have created the stability that would allow for uh, Iraq to progress. The net result was the opposite occurred because immediately that void was filled. And so, look, we can rewrite history all you want. Um, but the simple fact is that we're, we're in a much more unstable place because America pulled back. Uh, so, so because you re- we couldn't really hear that audio that well, my apologies. Uh, there was a college student who was confronting the former Florida governor, Jeb Bush, who was obviously a potential Republican candidate. And what the college student asserted is, quote, your brother created ISIS, referring to George W. Bush. Now, Jeb Bush had blamed President Barack Obama earlier during the town hall event. Uh, he had blamed President Obama for creating ISIS, for contributing to the swelling power of ISIS, if not the creation of ISIS, um, the militant Islamic group that the U.S. is fighting in parts of both Iraq and Syria. Quote, student says, why are you saying that? Why are you saying that ISIS was created by us not having a presence in the Middle East when it's pointless wars where we send young American men to die for the idea of American exceptionalism? Why are you spouting nationalist rhetoric to get us involved in more wars? Uh, the student was Ivy Zydrick, a college Democrat at the University of Nevada. Now, Jeb Bush told her, quote, we respectfully disagree. We have a disagreement. And then he again pointed to Obama's failure to broker an agreement with the Iraqi government to leave a residual force of American troops after the U.S.'s withdrawal in late 2011. And he said, quote, immediately that void was filled. Look, we can rewrite history all you want, but the simple fact is that we are in a much more unstable place because America pulled back. The student also called Jeb Bush pedantic after he just asked the student. Uh, the, the student also called Bush pedantic after Bush asked the student if she was planning to ask a question after she alleged Bush's brother, former President George W. Bush, created ISIS. And Jeb Bush retorted, pedantic? Wow. Sorry, I don't mean to sound like a snoot, uh, a snooty girl, but I thought maybe he didn't know what it meant. <laughs> what do you think, Brad? Well, uh, I think that, well, first of all, the, my basic answer is Ivy is right. Jeb was wrong. Uh, the invasion of Iraq back in 2003, masterminded by his uh, brother and uh, the uh, prince consort, Dick Cheney, uh, was a disaster. Uh, now, you have to look at what the people in ISIS. If you look at the people in ISIS, Many of them, including the the military leadership of ISIS, are former members of Saddam Hussein's uh, 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 Republican Guard. And basically, they, you know, they got kicked out of office uh, when we uh, invaded Iran, Iraq, and they had... They had to find something else to do. Uh, so essentially, they started a war against Syria. Um, the other thing that people forget, I mean, there are lots of reasons why Iraq um, was a bad thing. It was based on a lie, and I think the Bush administration knew it was a lie. Uh, it cost the lives of almost 5,000 brave young Americans. It cost us $2 trillion and counting. But the worst thing it did was Saddam Hussein had always been Iran's traditional enemy. Uh, the Iranians are Shia Muslims. Uh, 
uh, Saddam Hussein was a uh, was a, a Sunni. And for that reason, they hated each other. They fought a war that I think lasted eight years. And the problem is when we took out Saddam Hussein, we also opened up the Middle East to, uh, to the Iranians because Saddam Hussein was keeping them in check. And so the Middle East is chaos now. And is, uh, Ivy is right. It is because of uh, the Bush policies in 2003 and beyond. That is a perfect example. I, th- I think Iraq, Saddam Hussein, and ISIS are a perfect example of the devil you know is better than the yeah. devil you don't. Very That's clear a good way example of, putting of that. It. Yeah, very, very clear example of that. Um, let's uh, talk about the uh, GOP and the strategy they're seeking uh, for debates. They have an ever-expanding list of candidates. None seems to be better than the other, Uh, but uh, Republican leaders are searching for a fair-minded but strategically wise way to conduct the presidential primary debates, but they're grappling with how they're going to manage this because the the White House contender list is growing and it's in a sprawling field. Um, They mix proven politicians with uh, provocateurs and reflect an increasingly fractious party. So uh, you're a Democratic strategist, Brad. How can they come up with a proper strategy for the debates with a list of people who, you know, and when they're not running against each other, often agree with each other? Well, uh, you're right. It's not a good situation. I mean, the basic problem that GOP faces here is at some point, maybe late this year, uh, they're going to start having debates. And you can't squeeze 20 to 25 candidates into an hour-and-a-half debate. It's just impossible. Now, Especially when some are going to be saying the exact same thing. Well, yeah, absolutely. And they could establish criteria uh, which say essentially you have to be um, at least in the top half of the Republican primary polls, or you'll have to raise a certain amount of money. But if they do that, that's going to create a major problem for them, because if they have eligibility requirements for being in the race, that will likely eliminate Ben Carson uh, and Connie Farina, which means that all the people on the stage are going to be white men. And that's the last thing the Republicans need. Brad, hang on. We're going to take a break. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back to the only True Democracy in Talk Radio. And he's Brad Bannon, co-hosting this hour as well here on your show of For and By You. Brad is president and CEO of Bannon Communications Research. He's joining us live from Boston. I'm in L.A., and this is your show. Now, we were talking in the last hour about Jeb Bush, that he's he's being a dud, he's being considered uh, incompetent, uh, and uh, he is making a mess on the campaign trail. He's being attacked on his answers about Iraq, not just by his fellow uh, Republicans um, out there who are, throwing their hat, many of which uh, their names into the ring, whether it's the Christie's, the Rand Paul's, the Marco Rubio's, um, or the Ted Cruz. But also there was a student, a college student, which we shared confronting him on ISIS and who's responsible for that. Uh, Now, Brad, uh, before um, we got to uh, talk entirely, did you want to add anything as to the GOP seeking um, the kind of strategy and what type of strategy they would seek for debates, being that you are a Democratic strategist, and we, I had to cut your answer a bit short due to talk radio news service at the end of last hour. Well, I think they're going to have to establish – they're going to have to do two things. They're going to have to establish some criteria, and the criteria will need to be effect, uh, flexible enough so they make sure Carly Farina gets 
gets into the debate uh, because if there's a whole bunch of white guys uh, facing national television, that's not the kind of image the party wants uh, wants to uh, uh, suggest. So I think they'll probably impose some cr- criteria, uh, fundraising, poll ratings. My guess is they'll also uh, – some of these people are going to drop by the wayside uh, because they're not going to be able to raise money. Uh, they won't get any votes in Iowa. So, you know, some of these people are just going to drop by the wayside. Um, lots of stuff to talk about. We had a caller who was uh, kind enough to hold and then give us a buzz back. Mark in Phoenix is on line five. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us and welcome. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. What's on your mind? Well, I, really what surprised me with the uh, Republicans is how they haven't united uh, since the previous election behind Paul Ryan. Uh, he, to me, uh, seemed to be the more appealing candidate over Mitt Romney. Yeah, but and he pulled out. I mean, you can't back a guy who's not running. Well, it's it, we've seen in the past with elections where uh, basically a party's kind of anointed their next candidate four years in advance. And uh, he actually generated some excitement amongst people uh, who weren't your mainstream Republicans. You know, you know uh, what, though? A lot of Republicans, I think, saw him for what he was when he debated Joe Biden. And that was a really young and experienced guy when he was when when he was uh, when his feet were held to the fire. And mm-hmm. uh, that was as a vice president. If you're going to run as president, the fire, the flame is going to be much higher, and much hotter. Sure. But it, a lot of his uh, proposals for revamping the budget, for uh, revamping uh, Medicare and Medicaid and programs like that. Uh, you know, those were not always the most popular proposals, but they were. Yeah, but you also got to look at who can raise the most money, who sure. can appeal to uh, that, cent- that that center portion, that independent, that, you know, non-labeled uh, portion of the voters. And I think a lot of people felt that Jeb Bush would be their guy, but obviously right. it's not looking that way right now. No, I mean, Jeb Bush is proving you can raise a lot of money and still not be a very popular candidate. Uh, you know, he seems to represent kind of the old guard. Uh, Republican Party, uh, where, you know, he might get the big uh, business donors and that, but it just seems like the mainstream of the party now has has moved away from him. And uh, the Republicans don't seem to have a really good option in his place. You know, as as we were talking about in the last hour, uh, you've practically got a smorgasbord of, you know, 12 candidates or so who could potentially be running, and none of them uh, more appealing than the other. So uh, that's which is for Democrats like myself and for Brad, it's it's fun to watch. It really is. Oh, absolutely. If you know, if you're a Democrat, this is exactly what you want because it's it's very clear that Hillary Clinton will most likely be the candidate, uh, whereas the Republicans are going to be fighting amongst themselves for the next year trying to pick uh, a candidate, and uh, you know they're going to give themselves some self-inflicted wounds along the way. So for they, they can't t- right now, and of course we're a long way away. And Brad, please weigh in on this. They can't touch her as far as numbers. Those those numbers, as the field of Republicans uh, shrinks, the that gap in percentages will most likely shrink as well between you know from the numer the the mucho double-digit lead she has over Republicans. Yeah, I think it will. Yeah, and you know, I mean, basically. This country is polarized politically. The way I look at it is about 45% of the voters in this country will almost always vote for the Republican candidate. 45% will almost always vote for the Democratic candidate. And what you're doing is fighting for the 10% in the middle, moderates, independents. And 
since you're only dealing, each, since each party has a floor, 45 to 45, let's say, uh, that means no one's going to win uh, the race by very much. But I still think uh, Hillary Clinton, for a number of reasons, uh, it will win the presidency. Because the Republicans do the crazy thing, uh, to our caller's point, of uh, putting the most conservative person out there as opposed to, you know, to me, I want, this is, look, I love Senator Sanders, but he can't win the general election, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm going to root for the horse that's going to win you know, is going to win the race and and the whole race, not just the Democratic nomination, but the presidential race. And that's why I, you know, got to put my vote and my money, if you will, and my backing behind uh, Hillary. Uh, but Republicans don't do that. They keep making the same mistake, thankfully, for we Democrats. Um, and and uh, I wanted to uh, ask our caller about that because I can't tell necessarily from uh, the way you're talking, Mark, um, uh, what party you belong to or who you're looking at as a potential candidate. Well, I teach uh, American government, so I try to stay kind of in the middle. <laughs> you know, I try not to show an, an inkling towards one party or the other. But, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you that the, the Republicans just don't seem to have that candidate that's going to stand out, and they don't seem to have a candidate that's going to grab the, uh, you know, the, that 10% of undecided. You know, they voters. like to put forth the candidate that appeases the Koch brothers and gets the check from them right. and appeases the Christian evangelical wing of the GOP, which is a shrinking portion of the yeah, GOP exactly. and the Tea Party I as mean, well. I don't get it. They don't, I mean, they they don't quite frankly put a, de- uh, put a, a candidate forth that really um, speaks to their base. Quite frankly, Mitt Romney was a better choice than all of these guys that are lined I, up. I would agree with you. I, I think the Republicans are going to have trouble winning. and You know, they can win Congress and they can control Congress. I think they're going to have real trouble winning a presidential election from this point forward unless they start moving towards the center on issues such as gay marriage and immigration reform and so much. Uh, I, and I, I agree. Yeah, did, who's doing that. Mark, did you have something you wanted to say regarding ISIS and that student who questioned Jeb Bush, or am I mistaken? Uh, yeah, I did comment on that on your Twitter feed. I just, uh, it, to me, it just adds to the baggage Jeb Bush uh, is dealing with, with uh, you know his brother and his uh, father both serving as president, and uh, you know having so much, uh, you know, devoting so many American resources to Iraq, and uh, he's now having to answer a lot of questions for that. And uh, you know, is uh, George Bush to blame for the rise of ISIS? I think. You know, you could certainly make the case. Uh, so a lot of the members of ISIS uh, were radicalized in prisons when they were uh, captured by American forces in Iraq. And, yeah, and uh, if I, Saddam Hussein were alive, they'd all just be marching to his orders right now. Well, you, you, certainly not would be a good not be a good thing if Saddam Hussein was still running Iraq. He was a terrible guy, but. Uh, you know, Saddam Hussein oh, I'd rather have Saddam ISIS. Hussein than ISIS, and I'll tell yeah, you why. I think he American learned his lesson with invading Kuwait. I don't think he would have gone outside their, Iraq's borders. And, and I'm sorry to say, you know, uh, not that I want the Kurds to have been, uh, you know, uh, annihilated uh, by any uh, means but uh, or the Shia community uh, in Iraq, but he would have stayed within his borders, which is more than we can say for ISIS that Absolutely. has its sights on, on, on worldwide domination. Yeah, and, you know, there's no group I feel sorrier for than the Kurds because they've kind of been used and abused. Uh, the U.S. has helped them at some times and then backed out at other times. And uh, Whoever's been in power in Iraq and whoever is in power in Iraq going forward right now, they're not Kurds in power, and the Kurds end right. up being the punching bag to anyone in power. Exactly. That is true. Exactly. Yeah. That, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate call it. Us again. Call us again. We love having somebody who teaches government to great minds out there. Thank you. Will do. Thank you. 
Thank you. It takes a, a great uh, patient person to do that. Honestly, I was just talking to somebody today. Like I said, if I had to do life over, I might become a professor. You know, that whole tenured and pension and benefit thing's looking good right now. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, let's. Uh, I wanted to share something that my producers uh, got for me. Uh, the, uh, Ms. Zydrick, who, uh, who was the student who questioned uh, Jeb Bush, her case is stronger than it may seem. Um, had the U.S. not invaded Iraq, the region's history certainly would have unfolded differently. But more to her point. Specific decisions made by the Bush administration also led to the rise of ISIS. Most notably, the administration engaged in a widespread and controversial policy known as debathification, which made most people, even low-level bureaucrats who had been associated with the former regime, ineligible for government employment in the new era. Like you had said, Brad, they were working for the government, then they were out of work. Idle idle hands and minds are what? The Devil's Workshop. Now, the German magazine Der Spiegel uh, in April published a trove of documents that once belonged to the mastermind of ISIS, Haji Bakar, who created the infrastructure of ISIS, the Islamic State. Now, this is what Der Spiegel described the road that he took to found ISIS. In 2010, Haji and a small group of former Iraqi intelligence officers made Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi the emir and later caliph, the official leader of the ISIS, uh, Islamic State. They uh, reasoned that Baghdadi, an educated cleric, would give the group a religious face. Now, Bakr was a nationalist, not an Islamist. According to Iraqi journalist Hisham al-Hashimi, he recalls the former career officer who was stationed with Hashimi's cousin at uh, the air base at Habanaya Air Base. Colonel Samir is what Hashimi called him. He was highly intelligent. He was firm. He was an excellent logistician. But when Paul Bremer, then head of the U.S. Occup- uh, Occupational Authority in Baghdad, discovered, uh, dissolved excuse me, the army by decree in May 2003, he was pissed off. He was bitter and he was unemployed. So thousands of well-trained Sunni officers were robbed of their livelihood with the stroke of a pen. And in doing so, we, the United States, created its most bitter and intelligent enemies. We do that well, don't we? We create our own enemies very well, if you look historically. Uh, and then Bakr went underground and met Abu Musab al-Zakari in Anbar province in western Iraq. And Zakari, a Jordanian by birth previously, had run a training camp for international terrorist pilgrims in Afghanistan. In an 03, he gained global notoriety as the mastermind of attacks against the U.N., U.S. troops, and Shia Muslims. He was even too radical for former al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden. Zakari died, as you know, in a U.S. airstrike in 2006. So uh, the, the student's uh, point, although she didn't get the time to say all of that, is uh, I, I think not, not, not just a stab in the dark. I, I think it's quite accurate and quite factual. Uh, Brad, you want to add anything to that before we go into some other topics here? Well, I just want to say you're right about, and and Ivy was right about everything she said. And the worst part of getting rid of Saddam Hussein, first of all, it provided a lot of recruits for ISIS. Uh, But the other thing was Saddam and the Iranians hated each other. And Saddam Hussein, for all his faults, was keeping the Iranians in check. And with Saddam Hussein out, the Iranians were running wild now. Uh, they basically call the shots in Iraq now, uh, and uh, that was the worst part about all this. I think in the Bush White House, no one sat down and thought, okay, we know we can take out Saddam Hussein, but I don't think anybody thought, well, what do we do next, or what will happen next? And that lack of foresight turned out to be a disaster. 
We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about another Democrat who may be throwing his hat into the ring. I'm talking about Martin O'Malley, a former Maryland governor. And we're back on Leslie Marshall. He's Brad Band. And let's get to the calls. Online two in Buffalo is Dean. Uh, Dean, what did you have to say uh, regarding Bush and his administration being to blame for the creation of ISIS as that student had suggested to possible Republican nominee for President Jeb Bush? Well, um, first of all, thanks for having me on, as always. And as far as you being a teacher, you would make a great uh, professor. But just think of it this way. What professor reaches millions of people each day? Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> well, you're very, you're very sweet. Thank you for the compliment. Anyway, yeah, but... Student, she was a hundred percent correct because by taking out Saddam Hussein's government, he left—I mean, he left a power vacuum that the people from ISIS um, just banded together and filled. So, if, if they had had a um, well thought out. ISIS strategy, I don't think ISIS would be here uh, today. Brad, you want to weigh in? Well, yeah, I uh, absolutely agree with you. I think personally uh, that the invasion of, of Iraq uh, was turned out to be one of the worst foreign policy disasters in American political history. As you said, uh, it essentially opened up a vacuum that ISIS filled uh, in the uh, – uh, in the western half of Iraq, and that Iran filled in the eastern half of Iraq. Uh, and now, because of our invasion, we ha- we are in a worse position now in the Middle East than we were before the invasion. And I think it was a foreign policy catastrophe. And we're going to pay for it because the Middle East will be unstable for years, and there's very little the United States uh, can do about it. Once you you know once you ring the bell, you can't unring it, and I think that's the big problem for the United States in the uh, Middle East. Uh, Dean, uh, thank you for that. Let's uh, quickly go, Reggie. Uh, less than a minute in Georgia, there, line uh, five. Um, uh, you, I had asked the question, Reggie, about Hillary. Uh, a lot of people uh, picking on the fact she's only answered a handful of questions to the press. Yeah, why? Why is that? I mean, why exactly is that? Because she's and running for office and she has outside. a vagina. That too. Well, they say that she doesn't play nice with the media. She doesn't like dealing with them or talking to them. And that, you know, she, she, she hates them, I guess. Because I guess the way they treated her and her husband, like, over 20 years ago, you know? The, the, remember the vast right-wing conspiracy that she so eloquently, eloquently put it? Well, hold on, Reggie. We'll uh, come back and I'll let Brad uh, take a stab at that vast right-wing conspiracy okay. that maybe wasn't so much of a shot in the dark there. We'll be back. Right. We're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Brad Banna, my co-host and partner in crime on Fridays. Brad, uh, Reggie's on the line from Georgia Online 5. And Reggie says, why are people in Democratic Party attacking Hillary? First of all, Brad, Hillary has not had a love-hate affair with the media. She's had a hate-hate or dislike affair, strongly dislike and hate. I always say to my kids, hate is such a strong word, say dislike. Um, But 
Uh, she hasn't answered many questions. That's going to change. It's going to have to change, correct? Well, yeah, she will have to answer questions. I think you mentioned before that uh, Ben Carson had uh, answered 93 questions. Uh, I thought it was 32, but I oh, could well, be Well, even 32, that's one of the many reasons that Ben Carson will never be president. Uh, you know, the reality is the more questions you answer, uh, the more likely you are to say something really stupid. Uh, so presidential candidates guard their access, press access uh, very carefully. Now, I think hate is a good word to use it, and it's mutual hate. Uh, Hillary Clinton hates the media. Uh, she hates the media. It began because during her husband's presidency, uh, where uh, she felt that the media was very unfair to both her and her husband, uh, then it got even worse. In and so she's definitely somebody who holds a grudge. Uh, yeah, well, they, the Clintons definitely hold grudges, <laughs> no, no doubt about that. And the other thing was in 2008, Hillary felt that the uh, press, the media, gave Barack Obama a free ride and tore her to shreds. Now, the media also hate the media hates Hillary Clinton, and the reason the media hates Hillary Clinton is that the Clintons have a tendency of being very secretive. Uh, they don't say much. Uh, they don't release, you know, records to the public, uh, and the press hates that. So it's mutual hate. Uh, Reggie, um, you know what? What, what did you want to say? Uh, uh, you know about this because I mean she's not going to go unchallenged. We know Senator Sanders has thrown his hat into the ring, and there may be another which we'll talk about in a minute. But go ahead, Reggie, finish up. Well, I would just like to know why is why is our side throwing her throwing her far much and way under the bus by giving the right side, you know, the Republican side, more, much more verbal ammunition to use against her. They haven't used anything against her as of yet already. You know, like such as. Things like or such as what I just described to you earlier. You know, like for her being a war hawk and all of that, and being the worst candidate possible that's ever wanted to run for president, and being secretive, as Brad once said, and for not being, you know, transparent enough with the American people and the whole entire world. You know, and then why, you know, why are we giving them so much more verbal ammunition to use against her? to attack both her and her husband yet once again. You know what I'm saying? And that well, uh, yeah, Reggie, uh, there's always going to be this mutual hate between the Clintons and the media because the Clintons, by nature, are not – you will not find a picture of the Clintons next to transparency in the dictionary. Uh, and the relationship's also going to be hostile, and that's why Hillary – one of the reasons why Hillary Clinton doesn't talk to the press very much, and she probably won't uh, because she well, – how, how can she – I don't think she can get away with not talking, especially when they're counting how many times she's talking to the press right now. Well, uh, Mitt Romney very rarely spoke to the press, uh, and he and he lost. Every time he did, he got into trouble. <laughs> and I think you know, they're, the, the Clinton people are very suspicious of the media. Sure, she's going to have to open up, but she's not going to open up to the media. What she's going to do is what she's already done in Iowa: is sit down and talk to groups of voters. Uh, but I thought that's how it was city. starting. The way I look at this, and I could be wrong, is that she's reintroducing America to her. The real her, not the First Lady Hillary, not the wife of Bill Hillary, not the senator or secretary of state, but Hillary from the beginning. And then, you know, she'll really put forth 
uh, what her campaign is about. To me, it's like, this is who I am. This is what my campaign's about. And, I mean, she she can't uh, ignore the press. And quite frankly, you know, I think you've met her in person, Brad. She's charming in person. And yeah, if she would just, really, if the charm she has and, and, and she she exudes one-on-one and even in small groups could come across when that microphone is in her face, I mean, she's she'd win this hands down. Well, uh, yeah, but, you know, I, that's not Hillary Clinton by nature. Uh, and, you know, she basically what the Clinton campaign is going to try to do is they're going to try to go around the media directly to the people because the Clinton campaign feels the media distorts everything she says, so there's no point saying anything to them. And she's going to campaign by meeting small groups of voters, uh, and at some point she will open up more and stop start doing interviews, but she'll do the interviews with friendly uh, questioners like George Stephanopoulos for instance. Uh, so you'll see more of her, but it's going to be in carefully selected settings. Um, okay, thank you for uh, your call uh, there, Reggie. And uh, let's, uh, I wanted to read, this is from uh, Mr. K, who emailed us when we were talking about Jeb Bush. He said, hi, Leslie and Brad, Jeb Bush will invade whoever he's told to invade. He gets told by the same Northeastern blue blood family that owns the oil companies and the banks and supplies the military with their oil. These are their plans. Uh, distance between George Bush and Jeb Bush, I guess, I guess the distance between Hillary and her husband, President, is greater between Hillary and Jeb than Je- between Jeb and his brother, Pre- President George Bush and his father, President George Bush. Confused you won't be after next week's episode. It's all about who owns the oil companies and who owns the banks. Any comment? Yeah, uh, well, there's one important difference between the Clinton uh, brand name and the Bush brand name. Uh, Right now, uh, the Bush brand name uh, is mud. People don't like George W. Bush. They think he was a bad president. On the other hand, the Clinton brand name is very good because Bill Clinton is a very popular ex-president. Bill Clinton is just as popular, if not more popular today, than when he was president and right after he was president. Oh, yeah, he's more popular today. Uh, And that's a big asset to Hillary uh, because, you know, they're naturally going to go back to, you know, they're naturally going to go back and compare her to her husband. And the media is naturally going to compare Jeb Bush to his brother. And in that kind of comparison, uh, Hillary wins hands down because her husband is a lot more popular than Jeb's brother. Well, if you're going to talk about, yeah, association guilt or credit by association, uh, let's go to um, some of the tweets before we go to. Um, uh, Donna feels that it was clearly the result of Obama's actions creating a political vacuum in Iraq as well as a pompous red line in Syria. Do you have any comment to that? Because nobody. Well, yeah, she's Syria. wrong. Uh, George W. Bush created the vacuum in the Middle East when he evaded Iraq. And essentially what he did was he broke down the Iraqi government, which allowed Iran to run loose uh, on one side and ISIS to run loose on the other side. And now because of that, the Middle East is a disaster. Um, uh, Let me see. Oh, talking about, because we have people talking about everything, we asked, will we see the eventual GOP nominee get pulled far to the right, like what happened to Mitt Romney in 2012? Uh, What's in a name tweeted, yes, and then some said nominee will come back to the middle because that's where the votes are for the presidential election. Um, Speaking of, Will and somebody else asked on Twitter, 
Will Bernie throwing his hat into the ring pull Hillary more to the left, or do you think she's going to stay right where she is, which she needs to be, which is more of a centrist position, and that is where the votes are for the next presidential election? Well, I think for the most part, Hillary's going to stay where she is. Uh, I don't think she sees Bernie Sanders as a serious threat, um, and she's probably right thinking that. Um, so I don't think she's going to, you know, I think she has moved a little bit left, uh, but not a lot left. And the problem on the Republican side is, you know, Mitt Romney's plan was to run hard right until he got the Republican nomination and then uh, uh, use the Etch-A-Sketch to erase his conservative image and run as a moderate in the fall. The problem is it didn't work. Once he established himself as a right-wing conservative, he couldn't go back to being a moderate, and voters didn't accept him as a moderate, which is one of the many reasons he lost a race he should have won. Capitalism Canary says in terms of how the region was destabilized, referring to Iraq after the 03 invasion, uh, he feels that Ivy Zedrick is absolutely correct. And Bunker, you know, we've got some comedians out here. Bunker Hill Bunny says the GOP has a variety of fresh faces and ideas. Democrats are the same old tired retreads. I, I didn't know Jeb Bush was a fresh new face or Ram Paul. And are these fresh new faces and ideas? And uh, Joe Weatherly had said, what did he say earlier? He said, there's a healthy field of smart, diverse candidates on the right. I don't see that on the left. Oh, my God, these guys are hysterical. They need to quit their day job and go to, like, the Comedy Connection or something. What do you think? Uh, yeah, they should quit their day jobs and they should uh, write jokes for David Letterman while he's still doing the show. Yeah, Joe thinks, and I said, you don't think Bernie and Hillary are smart? He said, I'll say Bernie's smart, just a bit too Lenin for me. No, Lenin was a communist, Bernie's a socialist. And uh, Hillary, he says, is indescribable at this point, a train wreck, a disaster. It amazes me how people think a train wreck or a disaster could even get as far as Hillary Clinton has. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Brad Bannon. We'll take a break. We'll be back after this. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Brad Bannon. Brad, uh, let's talk about perhaps uh, somebody else. Uh, Martin O'Malley is preparing to launch a campaign. They say he's almost certainly going to announce in a couple of weeks, and this is the former Maryland uh, governor. He's ramping up. They're saying he's now all but certain presidential campaign. He's leased space in Baltimore for a campaign headquarters. He's asking donors and bundlers to begin serious fundraising, and uh, they say he will announce his candidacy on May uh, 30th. He's laid the groundwork for a presidential bid in both Iowa and New Hampshire in recent months. He has a very liberal record, if you look at the record he had in uh, the state of Maryland as governor. He supported gay marriage, gun control, and an end to the death penalty. Um, and people say he's emerged as a progressive challenger to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. But with Bernie in the mix, does it make Martin O'Malley, um, you know, as big a name, A, and B, as liberal as he would seem next to Hillary with Bernie Sanders there? Well, the short answer is uh, I think uh, Martin O'Malley getting into the race uh, helps Hillary Clinton. Okay, uh, uh, because there are some Democrats, there aren't a lot of them, but there are some Democrats out there who don't like Hillary Clinton. Now, this race, the Democratic presidential race, is going to be, a, like it or not, is going to be a referendum on Hillary Clinton. And now with O'Malley getting into the race, and he will, uh, the anti-Hillary vote will split into two different directions. Uh, and I think it just makes uh, Hillary a lot stronger because I think the two of them, Sanders and O'Malley, will be dividing the anti-Hillary vote. And there's not enough of it to go around to begin with. 
Okay, so it's going to come down, you think, between Bernie and Hillary, and again, a name recognition. But we have seen people, including Hillary's husband, uh, Bill Clinton, who was, uh, you know, uh, two-time and one time in the middle of that time, uh, lost as uh, governor of Arkansas. And some people like Bill who, you know, uh, Sarah Palin. <laughs> well, <laughs> say, know, right? there's, one, there's one big difference with O'Malley, though. Remember how Barack Obama beat Hillary Clinton by getting in the race in January of 2007. If Bernie Sanders and Martin O'Malley were serious about their candidacies, they would have got it in the race back in January, but they didn't. In fact, I think the O'Malley thing is ridiculous uh, because he's just waited too long. My guess is if you go to Iowa now, there aren't very many activists left over who are not supporting Hillary or Bernie Sanders, and the same thing in New Hampshire. And I think O'Malley actually would have been a good candidate, a governor, as a, which I think is a positive. Uh, he has a very progressive track record, as you said, uh, but he couldn't make up his mind early enough. And I think the problem O'Malley had is that I think you're going to see him run a very gentle campaign against Hillary. Because I think O'Malley knows he can't beat Hillary, and he's running for two reasons. One is, you never know, Hillary's candidacy might just implode. It probably won't, but there's always the possibility. Uh, The second thing is, Martin O'Malley desperately wants to be Hillary Clinton's running mate. And he feels that if he can get in the race, uh, establish some visibility, uh, and not beat up Hillary too bad in the primaries, uh, he would be positioned uh, to be Hillary's running mate, which is what he really wants. And certainly Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren folks want Bernie to be um, that uh, VP position if Hillary wins the nomination, which I think she will. But uh, Bernie Sanders, by the way, um, speaking of running a campaign, he he is not – He's, he's not going to have the money, and nor would he spend the money if he had it, to mudsling against Hillary. So this is going to be very, very different. I think it's going to be much more congenial, um, uh, uh, more so than adversarial, um, campaigning uh, on the left. Now, Bernie Sanders acknowledges he's not going to outspend Hillary Clinton, and he says that doesn't mean he can't beat her. He was on AB, uh, CBS's Face the Nation, and, um, you know, when he was asked if he really thinks he can beat Hillary Clinton, who was the Democratic frontrunner, he said the answer is yes. We've had close to 90,000 contributions. Um, and he's very confident that the dissatisfaction with inequality throughout the country will play to his advantage among voters who are angry with the Clintons' ties to billionaires being millionaires themselves. Well, uh, Leslie, I still hope someday at my advanced age to play shortstop. I'm confident that someday I'll play shortstop. <laughs> but it's probably not going to happen, you know? Uh, and I think that's the situation Bernie Sanders is in. You know, the reality is that if you look at polls of Democratic primary voters, Hillary Clinton is overwhelmingly popular. I mean, there may be 20% of the Democrats, uh, Democratic primary voters who don't like her, but it's not enough to sustain a candidacy. It's not enough to overwhelm her. Uh, you know, I compare this again in, you know, to the 2008 campaign. 
when Barack Obama got in the race against Hillary Clinton in January of 2007, uh, the poll showed he was about 25 points behind Hillary. The polls now show that Hillary's 55 uh, 55 points ahead of Sanders, and we're I think we're comparing apples and oranges. Uh, I think Bernie Sanders or Martin O'Malley has a much more difficult time uh, beating Hillary Clinton than Barack Obama did, and they've made it worse by waiting so late. They're only like 260-some days until the Iowa caucuses, and a lot of the activists, Democratic activists out there, are already committed. Let's go to Adam in Memphis, line two. Adam, good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? Hey. So talk to us about the nominees, GOP nominee or the Democratic uh, no- nominees. Where do you, where do well, you think just, these people have to position themselves, Adam? The way that I see it, and, and I'm no political expert by any means, but when I look at it, all of these GOP nominees that are jumping in the race, they're all swinging way far to the right because they have to. That, that's where they're going to get their nomination from, from, from the Republican Party, is on the far right. But it, in my opinion, there's just no way that a candidate can be that far right and win a presidential election in 2016. I just don't see that being a possibility with this massive shift in in Americans and, and, and how, I don't want to say liberal, but how liberal Americans are becoming with issues like gay marriage and marijuana and things like that. Um, I just don't think that religious right thought process is going to be enough to win a presidential election in this day and age. Uh, but Brad. it's more than plenty enough to lose the race. Uh, I agree. Uh, right now, Hillary Clinton has campaign trackers following around Scott Walker, uh, Marco Rubio, probably Jeb Bush, and maybe a couple of others. And they're recording on video everything they say at these Tea Party and religious conclaves. And they're saying incredibly incendiary things because they know that gets them the Republican nomination. But it will come back and haunt them uh, in the fall next year when Hillary Clinton does commercials with the videotape they accumulated of the Republicans saying nasty things to to pacify the uh, religious right and the Tea Party. All right, thank you for your call in Memphis. Quickly, less than a minute, Michael in the Bronx. How you doing, guys? Good. You know, for one thing that, um, my thing with Jeb is that he cannot distance himself from his brother because he is partially responsible for him getting into the White House in 2000 in Florida. Him, Captain Harris, and the uh, five right-wing Bush Alliance justices. And as far as Hillary Clinton not answering questions, as far as I'm concerned, she answered a lot of questions already. They're only being repeated by the right-wing media, and she's like sending a message like, I'm not going to play this game. I will talk to the people, but I won't be playing into the right-wing media games because this is an election, and we still have unresolved issues going on. And she knows that there are people, particularly on the right, that have not given our current president, Barack Obama, a fair shake. Okay. Michael, thank you. Less than a minute there. Brad, thank you. I'm Leslie Marshall. Have a great weekend.